everyone. Welcome to Roadside Rumors. I'm Sanika. And I'm Kowal. And today we're here with Angela, but you can call me Jola. I'm Ben. Hi, guys. Uh, so, Sanika, do you want to tell us what we're here for? So, today we're going to talk about the queer community in Hong Kong. And you guys identify as a part of the queer community, right? So, do you guys want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and also the community in Hong Kong? Oh. Okay, um, so my name is Ben. Uh, I identify as a cisgender gay man. And um, I've been active in the local community, I think, since I was 18, so three, four years ago. And um, I actually um, belong to um, a university LGBT association, so I've been organizing events and going to different events in Hong Kong. Are you so active I in school, like on campus? Not really, but we do have like booths on University Street in HKU and stuff, so um, definitely kind of visible, but not too mainstream, that's what I'll say. Mm. What about you, Jola? Same, actually. Um, I'm Angela. I identify as a cisgender queer person, um, and I have also been in a bit of um, uh, LGBT local community activism for the past three, four years since I entered uni. Uh, I was previously in a university LGBT advocacy group called Action Q, uh, where we would uh, <clears throat> do a little bit of education work. We would hold workshops, movie screenings, um, art exhibitions, and all that. Do you guys want to tell us a little bit about your personal journeys? Because uh, from, I guess, coming out to uh, getting into activism on campus or in the community. About myself journey, um, it's, well, I firstly identified as a lesbian when I was in high school. Uh, I discovered Tumblr and then I saw YouTube and then there was a lot of like gay literature and fandom and all that uh, and I thought I was um, very very lesbian but then when I entered university I thought uh, I started exploring more about my sexuality so I discovered that maybe I'm not just purely homosexual and uh, I figured that sexuality is a spectrum so I started dabbling on well, I, I thought I was bisexual at first, but then I started dabbling on other kinds of sexualities, and I thought it was not really necessary to uh, label myself, so I kind of identify as a queer person kind of now. Yeah. For me, I think I started my like, discovery in puberty, like most people do about sex, mm -hmm. and um, I think, uh, yeah, I've just identified as gay since the beginning, and you know, it stayed the same. Not to say that, you know, it won't change in the future because everything is fluid and it's on the yeah. spectrum. But um, in terms of coming out, um, I'm out to most of my friends and um, on uni as well, And um, but not to my family. And I don't have plans to do that, actually. Um, I've had actually heard the same from most of my, like, gay, queer friends in Hong Kong that they're, like, out to their friends. but don't plan to come out to their family. I'm not sure if this is the same case with your friends and your circle. Actually, it's it's a bit, I feel I consider myself a bit lucky. Uh, I did come out to my parent. Well, I'm in a single parent family, so uh, I did come out, but my mom believes that I'm still in a phase. However, I just, well, because back then I had an ex-girlfriend who would always come over to my place. And before that, previously, I had some a few like ex-girlfriends who would come over, and I would call them my best friends. But obviously, my mom kind of knew. Like I felt like she knew, and it was pretty obvious. Like she would come over all the time. And afterwards, when we broke up, I came out to my mom, and uh, I said I was bisexual, and 
she she felt that it was a phase so she still thinks that it's a phase but i always like shove it in her face like look i like women also that's so interesting but when you guys talk about the community in hong kong like is it big like is it diverse or does it mostly consist of like local like chinese people i think the most of the parties or gatherings that i attend or participate in are uh, a lot more localized oh and a lot of there's less there I don't think there are as many parties as there are for um, the gay community. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but um, a lot of it is more online. Mm -hmm. We have two apps called Butterfly and Her. Yeah. So a lot of this is, a lot of like socializing is done there, and also there are more private gatherings, smaller parties than bigger. But yeah. there are also bigger parties, like once every few months. I mean, from what I've seen in like gay bars and like events in Hong Kong because you know there's other part of queer culture other than nightlife which is like mm. a stereotype I'm trying to break because people always think that queer people just go to parties and like get drunk and dance to music and that's it but you know we actually have a lot of other events as well but I'd say um, gay men in Hong Kong are not only like local Chinese people I've seen if you go to like a bar and stuff you see like white people like brown people and then they all like mm sort of come together and but I don't know about like the statistics numbers and such but they're surely like visible in the community it's not just like local Cantonese speaking people. Um, it was interesting that you mentioned that there's a lot of stereotypes surrounding the queer community because I have uh, one of my closest gay friends he would always talk to me about how it's very difficult to go past a certain phase in um, gay relationships sometimes so he would always say that um, it's casual sex is very common but it's been very hard for him to find a long-term relationship do you guys also feel the same um i think there's different types of people i think maybe like on dating apps like for gay men and um, grinder is also available for trans women as well so mm -hmm. there are women on grinder but um it's mostly still used by gay men and you know the purpose of the app is I would say mostly for hookups because you know they sort the um, profiles by physical distance so you know the one closest to you you see first mm -hmm. so I would say that's like the main purpose of the app but obviously like if you go on the app you find a lot of people just like looking for sex but in real life I met like a lot of like gay couples and like queer couples that have been together for a long time and some of them like non-sexual at all so it depends on like who you look to and you know, if you go out more and like meet more people, then you'll find like the off different types of like queer people and queer relationships. I feel like it's a little less stereotyped about like the nightlife and all that in the lesbian community. Um, it's more, it, it there are more, um, there are more long-term relationships that I see like in my community. Uh, and um, there are also, there is also like a hookup culture, although previously, a few years before, it wasn't very approved of, especially on the internet where they kind of, on Butterfly especially, they banned like a hookup platform. There was like different sections on the app. So there's this one that is about 18 plus, so you can just go in and find sex partners or whatever, but that was banned because it wasn't, it wasn't deemed appropriate by the community so they kind of took that down but I still see that a lot in um, the nightlife yeah and I wanted to add that uh, it's also there's also a bit of 
for for the queer community there's also like the arts and literature side mm -hmm. yeah. i believe there used to be this like lesbian and gay film festival and also yeah. this literary festival i see a lot of uh, newer independent uh, publications by queer communities uh, a lot of them i see like english but i see also like in cantonese i see like there's a embrace of local culture as well as the intersection of like, queer identity can I just like add a point about like rainbow families? Because I actually know like a couple of like rainbow families are like families made up of queer people. So people mm -hmm. that like have married overseas and like have um, either like surrogate children or like adopted children in Hong Kong, they have like their like regular hangouts. So I know there's like a community in Hong Kong made up of like rainbow families, but they're like mostly like wealthier and like older than like yeah. you know what we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, coming to queer sex, for most of us, I feel like the first introduction that you have to sex is probably through porn or cinema or the media, but what about you guys? When did you guys first come across that idea and like, because it's not as commonly um, shown, and at least when we were growing up in like the mainstream media, but now it's, it's a lot more popular, but how did you guys come across it and did you guys um, have any questions and things like that in the beginning? I think yeah, for porn, that was my like first media of like knowing what like how like two males would have sex, mm. because like like you mm. said like in Hong Kong like there's barely no sex education and um, it's mostly not that visible in media and like film and television. So you know when you're like growing up when you're in puberty you like just go online and search like how people have sex and all that, <laughs> but um, mm. nothing like mainstream or like from a textbook, but. Obviously, like porn is a good way of knowing that, but also a very bad like representation because a lot of actors are just like acting. It's you know, <laughs> it's called acting, and they're all like on drugs and they're all like under the influence most of the time. Like, I would say so. So it's not really like a good representation of like sex, but it's yeah, an important media. I feel like. Do you guys remember like the first time you saw it online or like your first encounter with yeah. queer sex? <laughs> already okay. Well, I believe that everybody goes to uh, porn websites mm -hmm. for to understand about sex, but I find that very difficult to learn about girl-girl uh, sex on Pornhub because they're very misrepresented. Um, a lot of them actually caters to the male gaze. A lot of the positions aren't really like comfortable in my opinion, but they're just very hot, I think, for people to look at. But I remember the first time that I was actually aroused by like a women women sex scene was in blue is the warmest color. I thought that was really hot. It was still very stretched out. I understand that people have criticized it, but it was really like very steamy for me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, but uh, I remember one time when I was watching, after I watched it, I, I wanted to watch it again. Mm -hmm. So one time I had my laptop on, so I paused it at like that moment. And so the next time, like, I, I left my computer somewhere, but then my friend came over. And then so we decided to open our laptop. So when I opened it, there was that scene. And it was very awkward because I have not come out to, oh. like, any of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> blue is the warmest color, yeah. and I love that film as well. But do you guys think that in other... Um, films or other kinds of media, sometimes the uh, queer community is misrepresented? 
underrepresented. I think now we're seeing more like queer filmmakers make like movies mm -hmm. and TV about like queer life. So that's obviously better than like, you know, straight people, you know, portraying like, you know, a gay relationship, you know, that's, you know, that's a good thing to happen, but it also, you know, they're, they're not from the community, so there's obviously some misrepresentation going on there. But now, if you like go on Netflix, or like, you see a lot of like queer movies and queer TV shows, and you know, I can recommend some to you. But, you know. He has a list. <laughs> no, what are some of your favorites or something that you think really represents okay. it well? Well, I, something that uh, hits close to my heart are my favorite queer ships mm. on <laughs> Netflix. Uh, I do really like Pose, like yeah. the one about ballroom culture. Oh. I really like Angel and uh, her journey about trying to assimilate into the mainstream society. Um, however, it's like her efforts are kind of stunted because of reality. I felt that was very relatable in a lot of aspects for the queer community or any minorities in general. It's kind of like a discourse. So I felt uh, very, I felt, I, f I related to her character and she was also really pretty. And I really liked, yeah, the two romances that she had with first like the the hetero cis white uh, guy who works in, I don't know, like the finance. So he was like that prototypical, um, very successful, very mainstream kind of man. And then there's this like other hustler kind of boy who she met later. Um, yeah, who kind of actually connected with her. I thought that was really cute. And there's also, have you guys watched Euphoria? Okay, it's okay. Well, it's. Their their makeup is so good. Yeah, I I like Jules and Rue. Mm -hmm. Um, Jules is, is a yeah. Jules is the transgender, uh, male to female transgender exchange student. I mean, not exchange. She just yeah. She just came. Yeah, she just came to the school and uh, she met Rue and then they're like there's this like kind of very sisterly bond that mm -hmm. kind of crossovers between romance and friendship and I thought that was. That's very, that's kind of accurate in a lot of lesbian relationships, I feel like, especially for my, speaking from my own experience, I feel like relationships with women are, tend to be more like um, platonic with a mix of like family and a mix of like romance. Yeah, I, I tend to think that for my own. Yeah, like one of my favorites now just came out last year, it's a French movie called um, Wait, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh yeah, I yeah. So it's so it's really good. I feel like uh -huh. you know, like if you watch it, you might complain that it's too slow in the build up because like there's the first hours are literally just like people staring at each other and like going on walks. <laughs> it, it's a period drama set in like I don't know the 17th century something like that. But then like the moment it happens between the two female characters, it just like exploded, and I think it's really represents well like. I think like for me, like my personal journey, like it's very slow in the build up, but then when you like meet like, you know, the first guy and then like your first relationship, it just sort of like exploded. And I felt like that was a really good movie as well. Like the cinematography, everything mm -hmm. was really good. And um, there's one in theaters now, like we're recording in June, 2020. It's called uh, Sok Sok. Oh. It's a local Hong Kong like movie. And it's about two elderly gay men who are both, um, they both have like heterosexual families, so they were forced to marry when they were young. But then now they're like in their sixties and fifties, and then they want to like come out and like, 
you know, confront and face their like sexuality and then they like develop a relationship. And it's a really good like representation of like elderly gay people which we like almost never see in media. So if mm -hmm. you you know want you might still be able to see it in cinema in Hong Kong. So that's like two movies that recently have become my favorites. They're my favorite too. <laughs> I really like Sok Sok. Um, do you guys think that the local community in Hong Kong, just the Hong Kong people in general, are accepting of the queer community? Or have you guys had any negative or positive experiences? I'm thinking, like, for instances, for other kind of marginalized minorities. Because I feel like for me, I'm already passing. And that, like, lesbian relationships or like queer relationships are generally more accepted. But I'm thinking about perhaps like transgender yeah, community transgender. or like cross-dressers I don't know I feel like they there's still like a stigmatization and people still kind of make fun of them on the internet and all that yeah if you you know you know there's the ID if you're like male on ID but then you present female yeah. then obviously that's you know um, I've heard of people who you know apply for a job and then they see that ID and it's like are you like male or female and then they're not sure how to deal with that and you know if you work in that company like are you going to use the women's or the men's toilet? So for like some employers, that's going to be a problem that mm -hmm. they've never like faced this problem before because there's no like laws in Hong Kong that like teach them how they can do it. And you know the sex education part, you know they were not brought up, you know thinking about those issues. And then um, I would say if you, you know, your gender expression is more like defiant of like the binary and then the heteronormativity yes. then yes. you obviously face more difficulty because if you like are very feminine but then you're you're a guy and then you're, you're very uh, masculine for, you know if you're a woman and then you know societies certainly i would say you know people give you like stares and such and you feel uncomfortable not that they would like outright tell you or like call you names but then you just feel really uncomfortable in some environments i would say it's because there's no like legal framework in Hong Kong that protect us. I would yeah. say it's like the roots of like you know discrimination. Yeah. So Ben, you just uh, mentioned gender expression. So how have your journeys been um, for expressing yourselves in terms of um, I don't know your appearance or the way you guys talk? <laughs> you want to show off your boots? <laughs> yeah, I do. Where's the camera? <laughs> 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 yeah, so like I've yeah definitely become more comfortable with like how I dress. I used to like deliberately like try to defeminize like my outfit mm -hmm. because like I do get misgendered a lot in like public spaces. Like, um, like I used to have like longer hair than this, which is not long. Do at you all. remember when you fell and fell down in the bus and the oh, driver, yeah. <laughs> the bus driver was like Suzanne Oyama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he called me Miss. He's like Miss, are you okay? Like he fell down the stairs in the and bus. Actually, in in HKU, like I've been called like, f I think at least five times. Like when I'm entering the men's toilet, and they're like, no, 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 this way. This is the like men's <gasps> oh, toilet. Oh no. Yeah, and I'm just like very conscious of that. But obviously, like you know, my anyone's like gender identity should like not match the expression. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you should just like wear what you want and like you know however the way you want to dress just like go for it and it doesn't affect like how you identify but then um you know in in the society you still get a lot of like pressure to like 
look comply, a certain way. Yeah, just like you know, you're a guy, then like dress like a guy, whatever that means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, so that was like me, I guess, like a few years ago. But now I'm much more comfortable, like wearing like. You know, platform shoes and yeah. just like you know, being fabulous and just like <laughs> feeling like that. And um, yeah, I've been like lucky that I have like been through that journey and like I guess like passed the hurdle. Just like you know, it is a lot of internal work that you do with yourself, and then like you go out and um, obviously there's still people like who are going to stare at you, but mm -hmm. then you just get better with like that. And um, I think it's important for everyone to. Um, overcome that but you know at their own speed yeah. so you shouldn't like force anyone to just like you should go out like this but like for some people it's difficult right? yeah. yeah what about you Jola? okay um <clears throat> i feel like the way i dress it's less about the way i present or how i identify but more like some very back to where about body insecurities and all that uh i have two kind of insecurities well first i experimented with not wearing a bra and you know like other kinds of what Is you this would real? it's a new one yeah, yeah what you would consider kind of non-conforming or something that would piss our parents off the kinds of things um well i i started not wearing a bra because i didn't feel the need to and uh i was in high school and i kind of in in tutorial classes i would kind of do that and i kind of got made fun of so i had to overcome that i had to explain myself i had to explain that i wasn't trying to be um, provocative. I felt like a lot of a lot of the times the way I dress are kind of related to me wanting something or me inviting stares or me inviting harassers you would say. Uh, I try hard to fight that stereotype. Yeah. So on the MTR when I dress like without a brow or when I dress when I show my belly it's actually very normal. I feel like you can see that on the beach and you can see that at home so why is it like weird if you do that outside? Um, I'm not asking you to go full naked, but uh, just like, for example, the way I dress now, if I go in the MTR, if I go on the bus or any places that are more crowded, there are weird stares, like aunties and uncles, they would give me, but I would stare back at them and like, <laughs> are you done looking? Um, yeah, and they would look away. I feel like I would be more confrontational in my gaze. I feel like that kind of protects me. There's that part. And there's also another part uh, like a lot of insecurities come from when I had my um, partners they are all really pretty I, I don't know why they're like <laughs> so pretty they're all more gorgeous than I am and I felt so insecure back then when especially when my partner were very non-conforming gender non-conforming so it, in the queer community it's kind of very attractive right it's a very attractive trait but then I feel like I'm just very like very cis presenting um, and I felt very insecure about it very weird. I felt like I should be more experimental, so I kind of got too aware to a point where I didn't dare to do a lot of experimentations with how I presented myself, but then now I kind of overcame this and I felt better. I started experimenting more. Yeah, so there's. Do you also kind of feel that pressure to express yourself in a certain way? Because that's really interesting that you felt that pressure to do that because I always, I always, when I see people that dress a certain way, that is very experimental. I'm always so impressed and like you said fascinated it's, it's very fascinating yeah and then I also want to experiment yeah, no, I felt but, that way too yeah but do, do you did you ever feel any kind of pressure I don't I don't think I did I don't think I ever did I'm just like 
I don't know. Like I talk like an old person, but I'm just like <laughs> very like comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Um, certainly, but like yeah, that's a good point. Like even like within the queer community, like s you know you're expected to like act certain way. I feel like like for example for like gay men, like you know like how you dress and like how you talk. You know if you have like even like for gay relationship, you're supposed to have this like you know dynamic of like the male and the female. Yeah. So um, yeah, so there's certainly elements of that in the community, but um, yeah, as I said, like I'm very glad, I'm very fortunate to like have overcome that, and I'm just like very comfortable in my own skin. I feel like uh, to learn, like us learning, like how to dress and how to act, it, it was something that was taught to us from a very younger age, right? So these topics, like that we're discussing right now, they've been existing for a long time, but they've just come out recently. Like mm -hmm. more people are starting to talk about it, and more people are starting to embrace this culture. So do you feel like? there's something that we should do for the younger generation so it makes it easier for them like you know whatever we've been through is there anything that we can do to like challenge the traditional like system like education wise or like in like universities <coughs> well i'm just thinking on the tangent of how you express yourself like the way you dress and all like self-presentation i feel like high school is a very conforming period you kind of want to experiment but you don't dare to do it too much i feel like that comes with every generation so um i think it's it's i think it's really hard to break it but it's also important that you always remind um like you know the younger generations like high schoolers perhaps that it's okay to not be conformed i feel like they would just listen and like the words would come out they come in one ear and go out the other but I think they will understand when they enter universities or they graduate or they, when they finish their high school education. Because um, I, I met uh, a Simoy who is still like, she went to the same school as my secondary school. Um, and she's a very experimental girl. Like I found her because she was, she had these really nice Instagram pictures. I was like, what <gasps> does that mean? What is that? Uh, like a junior. Oh, junior. a junior. Yeah, she went to the same secondary school. So she dressed really nicely and very grungy, like very e-girl, super cool. But I thought it was very daring for someone to come from the same school. I didn't expect she was in the same school that I was. And I asked her, does your school, school have like a religious? Yes, program? yes, obviously. Yeah, they would always be like, oh, you need to like tie up your hair or you can't wear two hair ties on your hands or you must wear like a like a undershirt for your uniform My so that's was so ridiculous we were like oh if you want to wear earrings they have to be like one one cm one cm uh in width and it has to be black then i was just like bro <laughs> like what and they're like so strict and i remember like in our dresses like they have to reach be knee high so yeah. once a week like we would have so basically in my high school we had to enter the school and tap our cards for attendance and before like once a week like i think like i think mondays the there would be like a sister standing like a nun like standing and there would be a chair and if they think your sh your skirt is too short they would make us like kneel on the chair to see if it touches like the so if, as long as it touches the chair means it's l it's long enough which is like so ridiculous like ridiculous which is because like even if your skirt or dress is like a little shorter they'll just I don't know they're just like they'll just make you like they'll just tell you to like get a like get a new one the next day and I remember like my friend like she she does um she goes swimming so like her hair was like bleached from the the swimming right and the school wouldn't accept that as a reason and they made her like dye it dye it black like pitch black so I don't know if it's something to do with like 
religious Catholic schools in Hong Kong, which also stop you from I expressing. Think, like, your a lot of schools in Hong Kong have like religious um, backgrounds. Affiliations, yeah. Right? So like whether like Catholic or like Christian or like Buddhist even. Mm -hmm. but, um, so so that might be the reason like there's not much like sex education in Hong Kong. Like do you know like the curriculum has not changed since 1997? Yeah. <laughs> the, the sex ed curriculum in Hong Kong that that's like over 20 years. Is there ago. any sex ed curriculum? I don't think so the I don't only really thing remember. I remember is like vagina, penis and then you get pregnant. And there was like a talk <laughs> like about like STDs, not, like yeah. that's it. There was a, in our, we had like a auditorium speech one time. They had like a social worker and they, we made an experiment. There was a game. They were like, okay, all of you now, you need to like stand up and shake hands. So, okay, so I'll shake hands with you. And then, no, they asked us to all shake hands with each other. And so, um, we all shook hands with each other. We were just like playing. And then after like five minutes, they're like, okay, let me ask this person to stand up. Can you, can other people uh, shook hands with this person also stand up? So some of them stood up. And then a lot of them subsequently all stood up and they're like, okay, so see, this is how the STD virus is spread out. Um, if you start having sex, this is what is going to happen. The whole class will have STDs. And we're all like, what? <laughs> Yeah, so this, that's the sex ed in Hong Kong. It's like really tragic. I, I, I think I had it once in primary where they just told us that dicks and vaginas exist. Yeah. And in high school, it was when they told us like condoms, like, you know, condoms exist and STDs. Yeah, they taught, like, that's they, it. They put like the boys in one room. And, and the girls in one room, yeah. yeah. yeah and condom. they gave like us like menstrual pads as souvenirs. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know what they gave yeah, the guys. In my school, it was during, you know, the rugby sevens and mm -hmm. a lot of people go drink and mm -hmm. hook up during the sevens. So they just left a bowl of condoms in the common room <laughs> and they're like, go. <laughs> and then people would just uh, put the condoms on their hands, on their face. <laughs> water in the condoms and play like water balloons <laughs> we don't know what to do with them you have to tell us. like there's a huge difference i think like between like international schools and like local, local schools. schools i think if you put that bowl in a local in a local school no one would dare like touch no it, touch it. Parents no one would touch would it out. parents would freak out like sisters would freak out in the school <laughs> like i think they will pass out <laughs> And like, uh, yeah, the students would definitely not touch it. Like, they'll just walk past it. Like, be, like if, if if I was back in high school and I see a bowl of condoms, I would probably like walk past it and like look at it or like I don't know, just walk around it. But I won't touch it. I won't touch it. Finished all of them, and none of them were used for the actual purpose of a condom. On our last day, yeah, it is ridiculous. On the last day, as a prank for the teachers, we just left the leftover ones in the teacher staff room. <laughs> international school okay. kids <laughs> but since we were talking about religion what is do you guys have any kind of a relationship with religion or have felt any kind of pressures uh, pressure from religious figures or people who are religious in your life i mean i went to a christian school for well actually since kindergarten so like up until uni i was in like christian education so they would like talk a lot about the Bible, but I think they, they're so scared of talking about sex, they don't even talk about like homosexuality, so they just like skipped everything about sex. So that was like my, my school's approach to like sex. So there was like no mention of that. They were not like, gays will go to hell. Like there was just like no mention of like anything sexual. But um, I'm not personally religious, but I found like in, in Hong Kong there are like religious like support groups or like queer people as well so like within the community like 
you know, you have like Christian people who are queer, like, you know, they have like amazing like support groups. So um, definitely like not like, you know, all Christians want you to go to hell. That's not the case. Mm. <laughs> what about? Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, I've come across um, friendly allies who are also from the church, who are also very LGBT friendly. I've seen a lot of that. Um, I don't really have much pressure from the religious groups more because i feel like i'm autonomous from them again i'm not a very religious person but i do find uh in terms of sexuality maybe i'm i I could be like a little bit distracting from what you were asking but in terms of spirituality and sexuality i feel like i'm trying to navigate um navigate my sexuality because i this is something about top and bottom energy i i very much stick to the bottom energy and i find that it's kind of it's kind of i feel like i'm kind of conform and stuck in that but i would kind of like to expand a lot of this and i find that often people women especially that i like uh, because because um i am more sexually drawn to men mm-hmm. for their more i'm not i'm not this is kind of like a generalization i'm not meaning every one of them but more cis men cis hetero men or they have more of like a top energy so as a more bottom energy person i kind of like i'm drawn to this so romantically however i'm more drawn to women um not really not specifically for their top or bottom energy but more because of how the way that i bond with them i feel a lot more connected so i find myself very stuck in this i kind of want to break this i don't want to only be sexually attracted to men and not to women so i'm kind of navigating this and i feel like a lot of the reasons that i kind of am drawn to top energies because i lack that kind of energy and i would like to compensate so like this kind of spirituality is very like a yin and yang situation i kind of want to kind of want to learn to uh navigate between the two and take like a balance i don't know if that's the case for like gay relationships but me as like not strictly lesbian i feel like as a queer person i feel like i need to learn to grapple both that's so interesting do you mind like sharing some like uh ways like or how do you experiment because i'm curious like i feel like i've never like i've heard a lot about like people talking about their sexuality and which has made me curious as well and i've like attended lectures and stuff but i feel like i've never experimented on myself or, or i've never tried it so i don't really know like where i fit in you know what i mean so how about you like do you, wh- like how do you experiment like do you if you want to experiment you can have more sex <laughs> <laughs> good answer really yeah like or or try to try open relationships but then that's a lot on communication and trust with your partner so yeah, I, 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 w- I became more open to this idea after understanding that like everything is kind of like a social contract. So if that happens in society, you can do it within like two people, right? Everything. Oh, one thing. One of my yeah. one of my friends. So she also identifies as lesbian, and she was trying to tell me how she has a lot of proposals from straight women or oh, by curious no. women. Oh, I know. And is that, I mean, she would get really, really annoyed. Right. You You mean like the threesome invitations? Um, Yeah, threesome invitations, but also just, oh, I'm bi-curious, like, I'd like to try, so do you want (laughs) to, even just two people. Interesting. I've never been approached that way. I'm always, 
I always know that somebody is of a sec- certain sexuality before I, I approach them, so not really. I do, however, have come across men who really fetishize like the bisexuality identity that I kind of present myself, and they're like, "Oh, would you want a free threesome?" I mean, they they ask politely, but I don't know. I feel like that's a paradox. I'm not really very. It's kind of annoying, but it's also. It's also like, I guess people are kind of open, and I shouldn't judge them for their kind of particular tastes. Yeah. So, do you guys have any final thoughts on you, on the queer <laughs> identity? <laughs> <and> the, <laughs> not on. Have you oh. had any proposals, Ben? <laughs> I mean, like, like on Grinder, you get a lot of like people, like profiles that said like couple looking for threesome yeah. and like stuff like that and wow. um like i've seen like self-proclaimed like straight guys on there just like wanting to explore but i think like it there's nothing wrong with that certainly because we're like all like exploring ourselves but um i feel like it's important for you to like disclose that you know so that the, the person you're like exploring with is like on the same page as yes. you so that you're not like kind of like duping someone like maybe they mm-hmm. think like you're into a relationship but then you're just like exploring your sexuality so it's just like be upfront and like you know it's a welcoming community just yeah. like you know say what you want and see if anyone's interested right? I think it's very important I think it's very important to have consensus of what each other are doing or where each other's head spaces are at that's very important and I don't really have much final words. I think it's important to experiment more, especially our age. I think it's very important that we experiment more, do whatever we want before we actually settle, or we don't ever. That's totally okay. And I also think it's important to create and write more, or like do whatever, make make something out of like your experiences. I think that's yeah. important for representation, for I don't know, visibility, for the queer community too record these things if you're advocating to like break the margins and you're advocating to have more acceptance and plurality in society yeah yeah thank you so much for all your thoughts today (laughs) um yeah it was so nice having you guys talk about your experiences i think it's something quite like uh intimate and personal but i hope this can help like the audience or if anyone who's looking to like explore right so Thank you. (laughs) We'll see you on another episode. Bye.